We're going to be reading today from Acts 2, verses 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Thank you, Zach, for reading. When you are in a committed relationship with someone or even uh, just a deep friendship, certain things matter. You want to know about their background. You want to know about shaping things on their life. You want to know stories that may have forever changed them or their family. If someone matters to you, you want to know the events that made them who they are and what they are as a person. If you're a Christian, your personal relationship with God is a relationship that involves the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the story we read in Acts 2 is one of those defining stories that has shaped your relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For those who follow Jesus, Jesus matters to you. He's your Lord. He's your Savior. He's your strength. He's your Redeemer. And so the story of two Acts chapter 2 matters because it is when the Holy Spirit of Jesus was sent to followers of Jesus. It matters because the rest of the Bible, 100% of Scripture is going to be written in light of Acts chapter 2 and the Spirit coming that Zach just read a moment ago. We, the series that we've been looking at is called Propelled. Well, we are propelled because of the story in Acts chapter 2. So I want us to slow down and, and look at it carefully. We do well to understand exactly what happened and what the significance of Acts 2 is. And, and so we want to take our time. Zach read it, but I, I want us even to go through it again, kind of sentence by sentence, and make sure we understand exactly, exactly what is happening in this chapter. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. You notice the word they, so we're asking, like, who is they? And we have to go back to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, there's a group of 120, and they are men and women. They're relatives of Jesus, his mother, his brothers. They're also non-relatives of Jesus. They're apostles, some of the first followers And the day, you see, is Pentecost. It says when the day of Pentecost had arrived. Jewish tradition tells us some things about Pentecost. It's the day where Jews would celebrate the giving of the law. Where they would celebrate what happened on Mount Sinai when God gave a gift to them. And it was a gift of his instruction to them that would guide their life. 
I don't think there's any accident that it's on this day. This day has arrived. This day has been fulfilled in which God has another gift to give that will direct people's lives. All the markings of something major is happening. Look at verse 2. It says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. This sound came from heaven. The last time we've been thinking about heaven in Acts chapter 1 was when Jesus ascended to heaven. When he ascended to heaven and the disciples were looking up and the two men dressed in white, the angels said, look out, not up. Jesus will come back again. But now from heaven, where Jesus went in Acts 1, from heaven comes a sound. And when I hear the sound, a rushing wind, this is exactly the sounds that were heard on Mount Sinai when the giving of the law took place. The sound fills the entire house, the entire house. So it's not as if like there's a sound coming from where Peter, James, and John are sitting. But everywhere else is kind of quiet. You know, the, the sound, the volume consumes the whole house. And I, I think that's going to be significant. This is not just going to be an occasion for the super apostles. This is everybody in the room. They're not in a trance. This isn't a dream. And amazing things start happening. In verse 3, it says that divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Divided tongues, those that were separated. So it's almost a distribution. So there's a collective sense in which the uh, tongues of fire are given, but it's distributed individually. And it says they were, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The tongues rest on all of them. Again, not just a select few. It rests on all of them. What is going on? It says here they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, scripture says a lot about this being filled with the Spirit. There are a lot of different places we could go. And we don't have time to to dive into each time this kind of phrase is used or this thought or this concept. But I, I want you to hear that the filling of the Spirit, one thing we can say about it is it is an internal capacity of the heart and soul and mind and strength, a, a capacity that's under the control and operation of the personal Holy Spirit of God. He is ordering. He is directing. Jesus had been speaking about the Spirit. He had been speaking about this. He had been speaking about being baptized or immersed in the Spirit. He had been talking about, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now it's happening. They're filled. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Since they belong to Jesus, they are His. And so they are immersed in the life of God. They receive the promise. Holy Spirit. That's happened. They're not trying to fulfill a ton of requirements. They're not trying to like work, it, work themselves up to maybe they'll be I get the privilege of getting the Holy Spirit. That's not what's happening. Just as God gave His Son, you know this, right? God gave His Son as a free gift for life and redemption and peace. So now God also gives His Spirit as a free gift of empowerment to a group of redeemed sinners. God is a giving God. The first people that received the Holy Spirit, they're not worthy to receive it. They didn't do anything to deserve it. But because our God is a gracious God, because He loves to give, they receive what they don't deserve, what they never could earn. What happens next? It says in verse 4 at the end, 
that being filled with the Spirit, they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So pay, pay attention to what, what follows. What does that mean? Verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. They were devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. So get that picture in your mind, a multitude coming together, and they're bewildered. Because each one from these different nations under heaven is hearing them speak in his own language. So while there's a whole lot going on, there's some easy connections we can make. Individual tongues had set upon each of the believers. What does the tongue relate to? It relates to speech. And so they speak, they speak in other tongues. This is connected with being filled with the Spirit. They speak something different than like maybe an academic lecture. That their words are spontaneous. They're not research-based. This isn't a, a carefully edited manuscript that they're following to make sure they just get every single word exactly. That's not the picture of what's going on. The Spirit fills them, gives them words to say, and they begin speaking. What they share is their eyewitness experience, and now their Spirit-inspired interpretation of that experience. And here's Here's what happens. The hearers hear it in their own language. They're, they're processing, they're understanding what these men are saying, and they're understanding it in their own language. So I, I think we just need to take a step back and look at the whole spectacle of this. There's a multitude that's gathered here. And so if you'll just indulge me for a few moments to kind of think with, think with me, who might be in that multitude? Who might be there? Again, we don't have them all named out nice and neat and in tidy categories, but, but you think with me. Could it be, I mean, we're told there are thousands, at least thousands in this multitude. Who do you think's there? What do you think happened the morning that this happened? Like, so they're eating their breakfast, they're oatmeal, their bagel, and off they go into Jerusalem, and then this stuff starts happening. Could it possibly be? Could it possibly be that someone in Jerusalem that day, they're like so tired of their life at that moment. They're just ready to get out. They're ready to move on. They're tired of home, tired of family. They just want to do something new. Could it be they were there that day? Could it be that there was someone that was dealing with the harsh effects of aging? They're unsure of the future, but it doesn't look that great. And they're walking by and all this stuff starts happening. Could it be in the multitude that there is a concerned father? If you were in the multitude that day, surely you would see a, an anxious mother who knows in her heart that her kids are making some very, very poor decisions, self-destructive decisions, and that's all she can think about. That's all the dad can think about. Surely, surely in a crowd of thousands, someone is there like that. Surely in that multitude, someone has an opportunity, maybe even that day, that's going to change their lives. Maybe they're going to sign something that's going to make them very, very rich and will actually change the quality of their lives. Surely in that multitude that day, someone had health issues that had gotten serious. Surely in that crowd that day, someone is preoccupied. So maybe even when someone starts speaking, maybe even they don't hear it at first because they're preoccupied. And maybe it's important stuff. Maybe it's just not important stuff, stupid stuff that won't even matter 10 days from now, much less 
10,000 years, but, but there they are. They're thinking about it. They're kind of muddling it. Could it, be, could it be there's someone who is thinking that all this religious stuff, all this religious activity just is like not for them, just makes life hard? They're kind of put in a box of things they don't want to do. And they're tired of it. Could it be someone who maybe the night before had had their heart broken? And, and they're dealing with the fallout of that. Maybe someone had something in their life. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a problem that they, they can't get a handle on and they feel like they're running out of time. They're all in Jerusalem when this goes down. I know we've used our imagination, but... Frankly, it's not that hard to believe those kinds of people were there that day. Frankly, it's not that hard for me to believe that in our group, not of thousands, but of hundreds today, that you might be here in a similar place as those in that multitude. God has you here listening to a story of how he broke in on a multitude of people just like you. There's a crowd of people who happened to be in Jerusalem that very day. What does it mean for them? If you think, well, they were kind of gullible and they liked that stuff back then. We've kind of moved on to more intellectual stuff now. You haven't really read your history. This was odd to them then, just as it would be odd if it happened now. You see, I mean, this is, this is not just God working a little outside the box. This is God breaking down every single box that might be had there. All, all categories. This is God defying the supposedly rational man-made, like, well, this is possible. That's not possible. This could happen. This could never. This is God just blowing all that up. The God who can and does unmistakably present himself in, in power and authority and glory. I'm not saying he always does or that he always will. But I'm certainly saying he definitely can and does sometimes. And just we had our way of thinking of life and then in about five seconds, all of our constructs are done. Could it be that that same God is at work here today? Could it be that God is like getting our attention? God is making us listen. God is speaking to us because that same Holy Spirit that was given that day, he hasn't been taken back. He's still been given to move and to direct and to point people to Jesus. He hasn't moved on. He's still communicating in the, the crowd, the multitude of people. They don't seem to know exactly what's going on. And maybe it's because they were way too busy. Maybe entertainment and sports and, and politics and finances and news and all that was like, how's God relevant to all that stuff? That's where it's really at. Maybe they were thinking that that day, how surprised they were. Or maybe, maybe just maybe they'd had whispers in their heart of like, maybe God is real. Maybe, there, maybe my job isn't all there is to it. Maybe there is more. Maybe, if, maybe I need to reach out to him. Maybe, maybe could the Spirit have already been drawing people to see the truth about who God is. It says in verse 7, Whatever, whatever's taking place, they're amazed and they're astonished. They're saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? That's not a compliment, by the way at that time in Jerusalem. Like, that's like, really? These people? Of all people to, like, be cultured? Not them. 
So whatever explanation, we're astonished, we're amazed. How is it that we're hearing each of us in our own native language? There's just such a spectacle here. And part of the reason of the spectacle is just the groups of people. So verse 9, that's what it says, right? There's Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretans, Arabians. I just want you to look at a map kind of where all these people are coming from because I, I think the map helps you discern in their known world. So you kind of see Jerusalem close to the middle there. And you see all the places that, that we just read named. And you kind of see all around the Mediterranean here, all the way extending to Rome, into Iran, down the Arabian Peninsula, into North Africa, into Turkey. You just see the, the wide, wide range there. This is the known world for someone living in Jerusalem. That God is just expanding. And, and I love that the first time we see the movement, the power of the Spirit, it's something that is just multinational. I think how much, how much pleasure must God have in a, even a group like this that there are multiple nationalities represented? Boy, it means so much for people that maybe this isn't even your native culture, but you've come and, you've come and God has brought you here and you're part of our church family. Regardless of where your citizenship on this earth is, your citizenship is in heaven with Jesus and, and we're part of this family together. I, I love the picture here right at the beginning, all these nations. And, and you go back even to verse 11. They are hearing them tell in our own tongues the mighty works of God, the mighty works of God. They're all amazed, perplexing. What does this mean? It's not just the event. So it's not just the, the spectacle. It's the mighty works of God hearing that that's making them reassess whatever reality they had thought before. The event was something else. But it says they're hearing the mighty works of God. What does that mean? God's always been at work. Since he's created this world, he's always been at work. Well, and we could even say in eternity past, he knew the works that he would ordain beforehand. But, but what are these mighty works that they're talking about and people are hearing it in their own language? Could it be, could it be one of one of the people there, could it be one of the women say, you know God had a plan, and it started with his selection of Abraham, who would be a blessing to the nations. This is the mighty works of God preparing the world for this very moment. Could it be another says, yes, but the mighty works of God include how God sent his one and only son, how God sent him, in, and he identified with mankind. We are eyewitnesses. Maybe Mary pipes up and says, I, I'm an eyewitness. I saw the day he was born. I, I was there. I know who he is. This is God the Son in the flesh. I, I, this is a mighty work of God. Could it be another disciple says, well, I remember how he powerfully had authority over nature, like storms would cease at his command, how he would feed hungry people with like very little. I know the mighty works of God. And another would say, yes, but the mighty works of God were this powerful man named Jesus also cared about the people that everybody else despised. Nobody had time for. He would, he would make time for them. He would love them. He would reach out. He would even touch them physically if they were unclean, the mighty works of God. But then the story might even change. Maybe someone said, but the mighty works of God has to include, has to include when Jesus went to the cross. And we have eyewitnesses that say, I saw him, I saw him bleed. 
And what a mighty work of God that even on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What a mighty work of God that even at the end of this, Jesus says, it is finished. Then someone else says, maybe one of the ladies says, but the mighty works of God, you have to include that resurrection morning. When over death and over hell and over the grave and over Satan, we saw him. We heard his voice. The mighty works of God. And now here's another one. Here's another one, the sending of the Holy Spirit, Jesus present, not just in a locale in Judea or Galilee, but present with us all, all believers everywhere, all the time. Jesus present with us. All this is communicated by, in their own native language, by Galileans. How could this happen? It's a miracle. This demonstrates the message of power. Only God could do this. The mighty works of God connected to the identity and work of Jesus been communicated through spirit-filled witnesses and meant to demonstrate God's mercy and God's power to everyone. What is God telling, what is God telling the multitude that day through these mighty works that have been talked about? What is God telling us? What is God telling you? What difference does it make that this event happened 2,000 years ago on Pentecost? What difference does it make that the Holy Spirit was sent to you, to us. We'll take a little bit of time to answer that over the book of Acts. But let me just give a a brief answer. This is what it means. This is what it means. If you have chosen to accept that gift of love, that gift of forgiveness to you, and by the way, we're told in this chapter, 3,000 people in that multitude do accept this gift of love and forgiveness that very day on the spot. If you accept that gift of love, if you rely on him, if you submit to him as your Lord, as your ruler, if you identify with him, then what that means is you are not alone. It means Jesus is present with you through the Holy Spirit. It means he never leaves. God sent his Holy Spirit. He's not going to rescind it. This is God's gift to you. You didn't earn it. You're not going to lose it. You are not alone. Jesus is present with you. This is what it means. What it means also is your life is not aimless or meaningless. Because the Holy Spirit was sent for a reason. Jesus does have a task for you that is part of the the greater mission of God. You are told because the Holy Spirit has come, you're told to make disciples, to bear witness, to tell the truth about who Jesus is. And as long as you are breathing, God has a plan for you. God has a mission for you. He is calling on you to trust and obey, and with the Spirit's help to to speak up, to bear witness to what God has done in Jesus. You're qualified, and you're called. And I know I'm talking to people that go, I'm not qualified. I'm not called. If you knew, Curtis, what I had done, if you knew how incompetent and capable I am of speaking up or bearing witness, I'm not part of the qualified or called. And I would say, yes, Jesus already knew all of that about you. He is the one who made you. He knew all that about you already, and still he qualified and called you to be his witness. No excuses. He's known you all along, and he still chose you. Your life is not aimless. It's not meaningless. You have a mission. You have a mission. You have a task. And while this is just the beginning of Jesus sending his spirit, what this also tells us is we are going to be okay because Jesus has done everything that is necessary to secure our future. The Holy Spirit was given on this day And likely the road of following Jesus is going to get really, really bumpy sometimes. 
and it's going to go haywire. And we're not going to be sure, like, can we trust? And we're going to wrestle with some of those doubts in our hearts. That's likely going to happen. But the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells in you means there is a sealed guarantee by God that Jesus will keep you and bring you safely home. You're not going to be lost. The Holy Spirit resides in you as a guarantee. This event is just the beginning of an era where all believers will receive the Holy Spirit and be empowered and assured. So church, we're going to keep walking that road with Jesus. We're going to participate in his mission of being a light to the world and trust him all the way. I love that this first powerful encounter of the Spirit involved a couple things. It involved like really, really tangible things, physical things. It involved like tongues of fire and involved noises that they heard. It involved like they were in a house, they heard languages, everything so physical, but something deeply spiritual was connected. I say that because today I'm going to ask that those that are followers of Jesus, I'm going to ask you to take part in something very physical, very earthly, and that is a piece of bread and a cup of juice. And what we're going to do is participate in something while it is very physical, it is deeply connected to the Spirit. We're going to remember the work of Jesus. We're going to identify with Him. We are going to, by doing this, say, I'm His. I belong to Him. Let's take time. Let's take time to prepare our hearts as believers. Let's take time to confess our known sins to Him and find mercy and help in our time of need. Let's remind ourselves that He will forgive. Let's remind ourselves that joy of our salvation is restored in His presence. This is for people who identify with Jesus, if you're not one of those. I am glad you're here, but I would ask you to just like, pass the plate. Even as our deacons are preparing now, this is something that's for those that self-consciously identify as Christians, as followers of Jesus. But I, I want you to do one more thing, not just pass the plate. I want you to think about something. Would you do this for me? Would you consider taking the step of placing your faith in Jesus as your Messiah? Would you be willing today to discuss it more if you have questions? If you say, well, I would, but I have officers. I'm not sure. Before you leave today, could, could you have a conversation? Would you do that? It would make our day. Talk to any one of the pastors, anyone with a name tag, maybe a friend that brought you. What this is, as we have communion, is the time where all eyes are on Jesus. We're not even on ourselves. All eyes are on Jesus, on his body, broken for us. His blood shed for us. His call to follow him. His spirit given to us. And his promise to return to us. Let me ask for the Lord's grace to be with us the deacons will distribute the bread and the juice, and then in just a moment, all who are followers of Jesus will we'll take that together as a church family. Oh Lord, thank you for seeing us. Thank you for your care and your love for us. I pray that you would do a deep work in our soul. Sort out what is true, what is right, what we need to hear, what we need to know. And I pray this time would bring us closer to you as a result of doing that hard work. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.